What is God calling you to? Is it connecting with God through reading his word or falling on your knees in worship and prayer? Maybe he's asking you to join a community or begin that ministry he put on your heart. How do I take the next steps from just attending church to becoming an active member of the body of Christ? What does it mean to become fully transformed in the image of Christ? Whatever it is, let us press on, press toward, and let us press in to what God has called us. Well, good morning, church. Great to see you this morning. Those online want to say welcome to you as well. Do me a favor. Turn to somebody near you and say, it's still looking pretty good in February. Do that, would you? It's still looking pretty good. I uh, was out at the front doors quite a bit this morning, and it was amazing. If it was 38 degrees in the middle of July, people would be walking in, and there'd be tears in their eyes. But it's amazing when it's sunny, and it's 38 degrees in February in Michigan. Man, people are coming on like, it's man, this is great. This is awesome. This is mighty. And I kept hearing all day, spring's almost here. And I said, don't you believe it? I'm very cynical when it comes to weather in Michigan. But anyway, if you have your Bibles this morning, would you take them and turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. We aren't going to spend a lot of time specifically in the verse, although the verse becomes the foundation of everything that we're going to be discussing today. We've been in a series called Press In, and for the sake of a series, we're going to be closing it today. But as far as the theme throughout this year, we're going to keep coming back to this idea of pressing in. We began with the concept of uh, the woman with the bleeding disorder, pressing past the crowd, pressing in and touching the hem of Jesus's garment. And in doing so, she found transformation. She found healing. She found God's grace. And so we've been inviting folks to press past all the barriers, all the crowds, all the distractions to come into the Holy of Holies, the presence of the Lord. And we talked about prayer and how prayer ushers us through the tabernacle. We come into the Holy of Holies. We experience the presence of the Lord. We've talked about how the Word of God becomes part of how we come into God's presence. And we even talked about how church community, how whether it be in a larger setting or in a smaller setting, having people of faith around us, how that helps us as we press into his presence. And last week we talked about how servanthood becomes a, an aspect of where we can become the conduit of God's grace into other people's lives. And whenever you're being used by the Lord, it has that impact of drawing us near and, and experiencing his presence. Now today, I want to talk about something that is kind of out of vogue. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 is a passage that, frankly, has been misquoted and misused by many. And so as such, we tend to kind of stay away from it a little bit. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, he says this, as, as the author has been talking about the balancing act between God's holiness and his uh, unapproachability because of how awesome he is and yet the accessibility that comes to us through Jesus Christ. All through the book of, uh, of Hebrews you see that. that. God is holy. God is holy other. God is pure. God is without sin. God is, in fact, in scripture it says that no one, according to God's own words, can look upon the face of God and live. 
He is absolutely unapproachable, and yet we understand the balance of his love through Jesus Christ. He's completely accessible. And so the author has talked about the fact that Jesus is the sacrifice which allows us into the holy place. He is the cleansing of our sins. He is the, he is the fellowship. He is the curtain, as he's called in chapter 10, the curtain that allows us into the most holy place. He's the perfect high priest. Jesus brings us into the presence of the Lord, so he's absolutely accessible through Jesus Christ. But he says this in verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy be different, be set aside. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, I got to tell you, that's a, that's a troubling passage because people have tried to explain that away. In fact, I would tell you that rightly so, we've been in a little bit of an adjustment because as soon as you begin to talk about holiness and living holy before God, we, many of us begin to almost bristle up because we've, we've heard that phrase over the years become a mantle of almost legalism. Uh, that chains us and, and it becomes almost a, a source of judgmentalism in people and, and it's like becomes this performance mentality in faith. So rightfully, over the years, we have, we have begun to embrace the grace of God, the God who smiles. We have embraced the God who is forgiving and invites us to come near and the God of liberty and rightfully so. But I, I would tell you that we probably have pendulum too far the other way within the body of Christ universal. You know what a pendulum is? A pendulum, it's in a clock. On my mom and dad's wall, the condo, there's a, there's a clock with a pendulum. And, and so what we see with a pendulum, I just realized I'm a pretty good pendulum. I've got a big old center and I got to go back and forth. And the way a pendulum works on a clock is that when you go to one extreme on one side, inertia or whatever the scientific methodology is that moves the other direction, you see the pendulum swing almost exactly the same the other direction. And so if we in years past have swung too far toward this concept of performance, we perhaps have swung too far in this pendulum of liberty and somehow in doing so we have allowed some things into our life that aren't very pleasing to the Lord. And you can't get past the undeniable call in Scripture to be holy. Peter says it. He quotes the passage where the Lord himself says, be holy as I am holy. Paul tells us to put aside those things in our life of, that are uncleanly and pursue righteousness. In the Old Testament in Psalm 119, I think I put that passage in your notes. He says, joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all of their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. 
Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. That's the New Living Translation. I really love it in that passage. But when God says, be holy as I am holy, if you're like me, you're almost frustrated by it. How could I ever be holy? I mean, I don't know everything there is to know about God, but I know this. He's God and I'm not. And I'm not going to ever be like Him in His perfect holiness. What is He, what is he saying? It must be possible. He's calling me to it. And, and so I begin to ask myself, how can I be holy? How can you be holy? And I'm going to take you through a little bit of a journey today. And first of all, holiness is a relationship. Holiness comes through relationship. In fact, I'll call it this way. Our holiness is positional. It means we're in Him. And when we're in Him, Jesus Christ, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, His righteousness becomes our righteousness. I got to be honest with you. I have been fascinated by this concept for years and years. I fully embrace it, fully accept it. I try to fully explain it, but it is completely beyond my comprehension. Because Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one of my favorite passages. He says, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, to become sin for us. So that in him we might be the righteousness of God. So what I see, in fact a number of years ago I did a series called Trading places, trading spaces, something like that. It was for Eastern. It was this whole idea how God took my place through Jesus Christ. And so what I understand in Scripture, Paul says it, in Him and through Him we have access by faith to the throne of, of God. John says because we believe in Him, have relationship with Him, we can come in prayer and know that what we hear over and over, all throughout Scripture, when there's a relationship with Christ, what happens is that me, Phil Whetstone, all the sinfulness of my life, the stuff I don't even know about, that Jesus takes on my sinfulness on the cross, and then somehow God, when he sees me, he sees the purity, the righteousness of Christ. Now, like I said, I embrace it fully. I will pronounce it fully, but I don't comprehend it. And if you were being honest, you didn't either. Because that is something that is completely unworldly, is completely unexplainable how God could take my guilt and place it on him. And yet, that's what Christ does for us. And so if you're here this morning, you're saying, I could never do that. And because of that, I'm so frustrated because I'll never be what God wants me to be. Scripture says that when I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, Colossians describes it this way, I'm going to clothe myself with Jesus Christ. I've got all my filthy clothes on. I clothe myself in him. Or as the book of Revelation says, those who are saints, they are clothed in white. By the way, purified by what? Anybody know? The blood of Jesus Christ. It is so counterintuitive that blood could cleanse anything, but we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, several years ago. In fact, I, I went back and checked it out, 2015. I built a little bit of a relationship with uh, one of the players uh, on the Tigers. And so in kind of doing some trading and some things like that, he said, um, would you like tickets? I can give you four tickets to the game right behind uh, home plate. And I said, sure. And I had a number of games that I went to that year. In fact, for two years I did that. And 
And so um, he said, now when you come down here, the tickets will be waiting for you uh, at, I can't remember where it's at, Will Call, someplace. Like, I had to go to a special place. So I, I had the kids with me. I think I had Wesley and one of his friends. I think, I'll be honest, I think, I think I had an adult friend with me. I just don't remember because I went to a number of games. And I went down and I went up to this booth, went to the wrong place to begin with. And they sent me a different place. And I go up there and I stand there. And I'll be honest with you, I really did expect that the tickets wouldn't be there. And so I get up there and I say, um, yes, I'm expecting some tickets from so-and-so. My name is Phil Whetstone. Oh, Mr. Winstone, here's your package. And it was a whole package of materials. And they said, here's your tickets and here's your lanyard. And, and here you wear this if you want to go down on the field. And I go, what? They said, well, this is your pass. This will allow you to go down if you enter behind home plate. You can go down onto the field if you want to go down there for batting practice. They've already started. And then you can go down there. And I'm like, what? So I put on the lanyard and the kids turn, and I'm thinking to myself as we're walking down and getting ready to go onto the field, I'm thinking, I am the coolest dad in the world. <laughs> so we go down uh, onto the field and I'm, I'm expecting at any moment to get tackled. I stepped down behind home plate and entered onto the field where that little access was and walking around. I'll be honest, there were different people, reporters, and there were, there were officials and all these, and there were players. And so we go up, and we're watching them do batting practice a little bit. And, and uh, I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. And at any moment, I was thinking, I'm going to get called out. Somebody's going to tackle me, realize I don't belong here. And so uh, I said, well, hey, guys, let's walk around a little bit. And so we started walking around, and I, I started walking down the left field line right toward third base, and it happened. All of a sudden, security came out, and this person came up to me and said, what are you doing here? Uh, uh, this person said I could be here, and they gave me this pass, and they go, no, 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 not what are you doing here. What are you doing here? You can't be here on the field. You're going to get hit. They're hit, taking batting practice. And, and I realized that there were boundaries, right? And they said, you can't go past this. That's part of the rules. I said, I am so sorry. Nobody told me the rules. I said, we'll, we'll get back. And we went back. And I got to meet a few of the folks who were behind the scenes at the Tigers. But what was so interesting is that my accessibility to this incredible privilege had nothing to do with me or my talents. I had a relationship. And the relationship opened me up to, for some of you, it would be the Holy of Holies, the, the field at Tigers or Comerica Park. But there were still boundaries. And I want you to see that. Even though I had access, there were boundaries of where I should not be because it was unsafe for me. Holiness always begins with relationship. Number two, holiness is purity. Clean. Cleanliness. What, however you want to say it, it means spotlessness, cleansing. In fact, it's interesting what God's Word says about this. 1 John chapter 1. He says, if we confess our sins, confession means you admit. You come clean. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Read, read that with me, would you? Just start with if we confess our sins. If we confess our sins, stop right there. 
He says the verse earlier, he says, if any of you is saying that you're without sin, you're a liar. Which, by the way, is a sin. All of us have areas of our life that even as believers in Christ, God wants us to come clean. I've been watching a little bit of this move of God's Spirit on Asbury College and They've placed an end to the services. The officials came out and said, prayerfully, we're going to be closing the services on this date. It's going to be at the end of this week. And I'm really glad they're doing that. Not artificially, but because they recognize that any genuine revival is not just an experience. It always results in transformation. And there is a moment where you have to go from here to there. And in going there, you're putting into practice what God has been dealing with. And if you've listened to the local uh, Hope FM at all, and Brian and Ellen, the morning show, um, and it's been on several times. I happen to hear it again. Brian Smith was talking about some study he had done on... um, on revival, and I, and I loved it because it's, it's right where I was already going. And he said, revival throughout history always deals with two things. But at the core of it is always relationship. It is the relationship that we have with God and the relationship that we have with others. And revival will always deal with those two realities. First of all, in our relationship with God, that's called repentance. We're confessing. We're repenting. We we, we have a, our consciences are unclean because of stuff that's in our life, and it becomes a barrier in approaching God. Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve hid from God. God didn't tell them to hide. God didn't hide from them. God was accessible. But because of the stuff in their life, They hid from God. It's that guilty conscience. And so when I have a cleansed and a confessed conscience toward God, there is nothing between me and Him. It removes any barriers that I'm sensing in drawing near to Him. But God always deals with my relationship with others as well. Do you find it fascinating that Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15, as you look at this, He says, make every effort to live at peace with people, men, And to be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And then he says, and see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So he just keeps weaving this back and forth, that I want to be different, that I want to have a pure heart toward God, but I also want to have a right heart toward others, and I want to deal with those things, whether it be unforgiveness or woundedness or anger or whatever it is, I want to deal with those things in my relationships with others because that's essential. And so what we're seeing happening on Asbury campus is not only are people confessing, repenting to God, they're going to people that they have 
hard emotions toward and they're confessing that and making that right. That's why isn't it interesting Jesus says that if you're at the altar and you're presenting your gift, Matthew chapter 5 I think is where this is at. He says um, if you're there at the altar and you know that someone, your brother, has something against you, leave your gift there. Go take care of that. Then come back. Why? Because that's what revival, that's what holiness does. My wife's not sitting in here in this service, but Tammy, I use her too often as an illustration, but I don't know how else better to do this. I probably could look down here and look at the guesses and say, doesn't this apply into your relationship? But in my relationship with my wife, God says our relationship with him is is like a, a husband to a wife. And imagine that I was unfaithful toward my wife. I'm still married, but... Do you think that might impact my intimacy with her? I'm not talking about physical intimacy. I mean just closeness. Don't you think that if I am in some way unfaithful toward my wife, doesn't that make sense that that would impact my relationship with her? Or maybe I've hurt my wife. Or maybe I've lied to my wife. Or I'm deceiving my wife. Or maybe I'm, you fill in the blank. Doesn't it make sense that relationship is hindered by those things in our life? And so it's not an issue of God not loving me. It's not even an issue of me not being a believer. It's that whenever there's that kind of stuff in my life, it has an impact in relationship. And I've got to come clean on that. That's holiness. And holiness is personal obedience, number three. And I call it personal obedience because you're going to find the longer you walk with the Lord, there'll be some things that he may speak to you about that he isn't particularly speaking to others about. I always find it interesting that in the very last uh, book of John, or in the very last chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, the Lord looks at um, uh, Peter and says, uh, Peter, you've got to be willing to die for me right? And uh, Peter says, uh, well, you bet, Lord, but what about him? <laughs> and he points at John, and Jesus says, what's it to you? I'm not asking what about John. I'm asking about you. Are you willing to die for me? There was a personal call to obedience, and, and Romans is powerful because Romans chapter 12 says this, and I want you to hear these words, therefore, because in view of God's mercy, because he's done so much for you, because you have relationship with Jesus Christ, because you are holy, because of what Christ has done for you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. God says your spiritual act of worship is not going to be by you singing loud, reading your Bible more, all important. Professing your faith, certainly important. He says your spiritual act of worship is what? Offer. So when you are Jesus to your family, you are worshiping the Lord. And when you pick up something that Jesus has asked you to pick up, James says it this way, if you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, then for you that's sin. 
when I pick up what God has asked me to pick up. That's worship. And when I put aside that which God has asked me to put aside. And we can probably fill our minds with all kinds of those, but maybe there's some you hadn't thought about. Maybe it's an attitude of superiority, of gracelessness, of anger, bitterness. You see, we can come up with the big five and the big ten, but you see, the more you walk with the Lord, he gets very personal. And he begins to get very in your face about things you'd never thought about, and it's not because he hates you. It's because he loves you and his design, according to Romans 8, 28, is for us to be conformed into the image of his son. He wants you to grow and grow and grow and look like Jesus. It's your spiritual form of worship. That's holiness. Be holy. It starts all with relationship. It comes from a heart that is pure because we are clean and have come clean. We're walking as God wants us to walk. And number four, it's surrender. Because this ain't going to happen unless the Spirit of God is walking and moving in your life. Galatians says it this way. So I say, live by the Spirit. Be obedient to the Spirit. Listen when the Spirit says, go. Listen when the Spirit says, where. Moment by moment, he says, Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. John Stott said it this way. He said that when a person comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within our lives. All of us who are truly born again have the Spirit of God living within us. And because he's doing what he's supposed to do, he's making us holy. But unfortunately, far too often, we may have the Spirit of God within us, but we're not submitted. We're fighting him. And then he says something really interesting. He says, you cannot be holy without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without him, and he won't do it without you. It's coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm yours. And if you say go, I'll go. If you say give it, I'll give it. If you say no, I'll say no. If you say yes, I'll say yes. And Lord, I don't want anything, anything to be between me and you. I want to be holy. to make you an invitation this morning that I didn't make. I'm simply giving you the same invitation that Jesus gave. Revelation chapter 3. 
Everybody thinks Jesus made this invitation to people who were sinners that didn't know Jesus and it's how a person gets saved. And, and you certainly, certainly it's open to that. But you see, Jesus was speaking to a church, a people who had grown cold. In fact, he said they were lukewarm. They weren't hot or cold. They were just kind of blah. And so Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, which is by virtue to anyone who's experiencing that in their life, he says these words, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Translation, there's a barrier. Open the door. Let me come in. And we'll experience the power of my presence. Pray with me. Father, thank you for today. Lord, I always feel inept to somehow describe these aspects of a walk with you. And yet, Holy Spirit, I believe that you're able to communicate very deeply. I believe there's an invitation that's here today. And it's one that you've made countless times over thousands of years to come near to you. And so, Lord, this morning, remove any barriers, any distractions, any excuses. And, Lord, if you want to come near, he's inviting you to do so. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing today. We're going to respond. The altar is not the only way to respond, but it's a beautiful way to respond. And so if you'd like to come, I don't even care what the reason is. Maybe you just want to worship. We had some come and sit on the front row. Some knelt. Some came to the altar. Some talked with the Lord. Some had prayer partners. Some didn't. But if you want to come this morning and just come before the Lord, I want to invite you to come. Jesus the name
of a, can I turn that down a little bit? One of the challenges when you do a message like this is people are terrified that if they respond in any way that people will begin to presume things about them. Can, can I, in all love, just say, who cares? Who cares? Why would I let that keep me from just whatever God wants to speak to me about. So as we go, I want to encourage you with, um, I want to encourage you with a verse and just challenge you to think about it. When the psalmist prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. I dare you. I dare you to pray that and have that on your heart. I double dog dare you. It's amazing what God begins to, in love, begins to reveal. Thanks, Lord. Love you today. Thank you today. Dismissed in your name today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can still come. I want to invite you.